0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix-Bell Morrigan. And once again, I am bringing you on a journey into the exploration of the question why horror where each week myself and a different guest are going to jump into this topic and try and and unpick it and unpack it so before we jump in this week I am joined by Preston so before we start talking if you can just introduce yourself and kind of what it is that you do and your own kind of connection to the horror genre
0: hi yeah thank you for having me uh my name is preston fossil and i am a horror novelist and journalist uh i have uh Written two, uh, two horror books, uh, Our Lady, of the Inferno and the Despicable Fantasies of Quentin Surjanov. And then one, uh, biography of a horror writer, uh, Landis, the story of a real man on 42nd Street about, uh, Sleazwood Express magazine founder Bill Landis. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next year I've got uh, another book coming out in March called Beasts of 42nd Street. And then I've also uh, written for Fangoria, Rue Morgue and, uh, several other horror related genre sites.
1: Amazing well thank you and thank you for coming on and I like to kick these discussions off with this question because I think every horror fan has their own unique answer for it so the first question what's the first horror film that you remember watching and then kind of spinning off from it because sometimes the answer can be different what's the horror film that you remember making you a fan of horror?
0: So the very first horror film I saw was Beetlejuice. And I probably mm. would have been like, what year did that come out? Because I probably saw it the year that it came out. I was probably like something like four. Mm. Uh, and it's a weird thing. My mother loves horror films. And she's was really a big contributing factor into my uh, consumption of horror media as an older person mm. my dad really does not like horror movies whatsoever but my dad's the one who was showing me stuff back in the <laughs> 80s like beetlejuice the monster squad ghostbusters mm. night of the creeps and i you know i have no idea where that came from and it's like during this one very specific period my horror hating father suddenly <laughs> liked it enough that he wanted to show it to his four-year-old son and Really, I think Beetlejuice was the beginning of it, and it started this pattern uh, that repeated throughout my adolescence where I would seek out really scary stuff like the Beetlejuice cartoon or Goosebumps books or these other uh, short uh, story anthologies that they would have at my school and read them and watch these things and terrify the crap out of myself and traumatize myself to the point that I would have nightmares and not want to go to sleep because I didn't want to have nightmares. And then Mm. stay away from horror media and then go back and do it again. (laughs) And really that ball got rolling with Beetlejuice because that scene where the staircase, the banister turns into a snake, Mm. scared the ever living crap out of me as a kid. And I'm putting my head under the covers, screaming, terrified of it, and then asking to watch it again.
1: Yep. And it's I love how, well, firstly, I love how like when it comes to horror fans, everyone, it's either they've been introduced to the genre with like a guiding hand from like a parental figure or an older sibling, or they've come from like a really conservative household and they've got into horror as an act of rebellion. It's always one or the other. And I love how it's different from person to person. It's one of my favorite like ways of like talking to horror fans. How did you get into horror? But I just love how you're just saying how so much of it was it would scare me so much but then I would seek it out again because that's really at the crux of what I'm trying to like unpack with this series is like you know so much of us as horror fans even when we acknowledge that something absolutely terrifies us and gives we still want to seek that out and it's really it's really interesting I think one of the mo- like I'd say there must be so many different kind of psychological studies done on the minds of horror fans because we're a unique breed <laughs> um, but yeah but no I this leading into the next one because I think as someone who started quite young being introduced into horror and would always seek out different f- horror in different forms of mediums I want to know do you have any kind of personal criteria for what you would consider to be horror and considered not to be horror or is it more fluid and flux
0: i think it's very fluid because uh you know i I consider picnic a hanging rock an incredible horror film and you Mm. know a lot of people would you know sit down and watch this very lovely daylight movie with you know women in beautiful dresses and victorian period wear and would say oh no this is you know this is a costume drama this is a mystery but you know I, i consider it a horror movie uh and then you know you also get into the question of well, what delineates a horror movie from a thriller? Is Silence mm. of the Lambs a horror movie? I, I think that it's anything whose primary purpose is to invoke a sense of dread. And mm. even if it doesn't necessarily achieve that, I think it's a lot of the intent behind it and what is the uh the purpose of the story.
1: Right. No, I like that I like that. And yeah, I think it is as a genre itself it is I'm very much on the camp that oh yeah it's fluid and flux and I'm also one of those type of horror fans very much like Mike Munster of Evolution of Horror that I'm just like everything's a horror Like you know I will like always like seek out some qualifier to say oh yeah that's a horror film like even if anyone else would be no it's definitely not i'm just like no no that one five minute sequence confirms it's a horror film (laughs) (laughs) like that would always be my approach and but i like what you said about what the intent is behind the making of a film because i think that's a really interesting clarifier and i like that and and it spins into an interest a next question and uh this is something which you see a lot In kind of online spaces, particularly on Twitter, but it seems to be something that I think a lot of people in the real world um, believe as well. But I see this all the time that someone will say, X horror film wasn't good because I wasn't scared. And I want to know what you think. Does a horror film need to be scary to be considered effective or good? Because this is something that I think a lot of people have. Different opinions
0: on? Oh, no, not at all. I think that you can have a perfectly quality horror film that's got great narrative elements, excellent characters, uh, you know, it tells a great story and isn't scary whatsoever even if the intent is maybe to invoke a sense of dread even if it doesn't necessarily succeed i don't think that that means that the movie itself failed or that it's uh isn't a horror movie uh going back to picnic hanging rock i absolutely love picnic hanging rock consider it a horror movie do not think it's scary whatsoever no moment in that where i feel any sense of you know jump out of my seat dread or lurking Mm. fear at the at the very most like maybe some existential sense of horror but i don't really think that it's that scary of a film and you know looking looking here at the the movies i've got on my shelf uh <laughs> you know uh i was going to say oh no that one doesn't scare me but yeah that one does uh but uh there, there's oh, sleepaway camp sleepaway camp's a great horror film no no real sense of you're a lot of slashers a lot of, i, I mm. love slashers but slashers don't really scare me uh So I I really don't think that a horror film has to necessarily be scary in order for it to succeed uh, as a horror film.
1: Yeah, 100%. Like I'm very much in that camp as well. Um, And I'm always interested to see different people's perspectives. And I think, again, coming back to, you know, what was the filmmaker's intent? Because at the end of the day, horror as a vehicle, like the goal is to evoke some form of subjective response you know whether that subjective response is dread or fear or humor like whatever it is if someone has some form of a subjective response that this film has caused them to have then to me that means it's been effective like you know and also what people consider scary differs from person to person like you know for me like one of the no matter what type of film I watch it in, how many times I see the same film, Body Horror is one of those that just gets under my skin every time. Like, it's one of the reasons why I don't really get the appeal of medical dramas because I'm just kind of like, even though those medical dramas are very much more about the characters and how many times they can have sex in closets in a hospital (laughs) and it's less about their medical skills still just seeing bodies opened up and stuff like that just irks me. I just, I never understand the appeal of them. But then someone else can be like, watching body, like watching body horror has no effect, but that doesn't mean it isn't effective as a type of subgenre, you know? So yeah, I think it's, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's subjective. Like everyone's different. And it's like stemming from that, I feel that, I think it comes from this weird, like someone who says, oh, X film wasn't good because it didn't do Y. Like, I think it stems from this weird type of gatekeepy attitude of someone trying to say, this is what horror is. If it doesn't do this, then it isn't horror. And I want to know what you think about that. Do you think like it is coming from this kind of like almost... I'm holier than thou and I know more about horror or what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, in any fandom, I think that there's two extreme ends of the spectrum, and you've mm. got the very toxic end of the spectrum, and then a very welcoming end of the spectrum. And in the horror community, when you do come across those toxic fans, there is this sense of trying to create an exclusivity, and to create conflict and turn people against one another. I think that uh, horror is a very welcoming genre for people who haven't felt necessarily welcomed in other mm-hmm. aspects of life. The misfit kids, the outcast kids, uh, you know, there's a big... Uh, contingent of uh, people of color horror fans, the LGBT community uh, have you know really flocked towards horror because wow. you know it's this, this is very welcoming environment. But then, kind of the catch twenty two of that is you've got a bunch of people who are outcasts in the broader world who are now suddenly the cool kids in their own world, and then you see this cycle repeat itself. And so mm. you've got now people who have to be the top dogs of the horror world, and so they've got to create these shibboleths and they've got to create these uh conflicts between one another and so they have to you know assert this role of dominance where I'm going to decide what constitutes a horror movie, and I'm going to set the criteria for uh you know what a horror movie is and is supposed to do. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, you've got people who you know, just, just want to welcome everybody in and who remember what it felt like to be an outcast and why they were drawn to horror in the first place. Uh, and so I do really think that it comes from this uh, this place of trying to gatekeep it because you've got people who for the very first time have the opportunity to be the ones on top pointing mm-hmm. down rather than the ones being pointed at.
1: 100%. I think... Uh that really kind of like hits the nail on the head there. It's like people want to cling to some form of type of power that they might not have had before. Like, And it's, it's really weird because like so much of like this kind of, like you said, this toxicity that exists within like fandoms, whether it's horror or comic books, whatever it is, it is like, I find it so baffling because so much of this toxicity comes from a certain type of person that was previously an outcast and that's what I can't wrap my head around like as in it's like are you like do you you want your status of being an outcast to be like you know not inclusive like you don't want other people to feel connect like I, I just can't wrap my head around where this attitude comes from like personally I think it definitely like slightly stems from this attitude of, you know, I'm a straight white man and I don't see myself in the type of horror that is now being made. Mm. And I want to know what you think about that because, like, there does seem, and again, it's within the toxic areas of the fandom, which personally I feel is just a vocal minority. I think it's, I think the community at large is more inclusive than it is toxic. Um, Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> the toxicity spreads. <laughs> but I think it, like this type of fan is the one that also says there's no so, there's no good horror movies anymore. And I want to know what you think about that, because like to me, it feels like we're in a golden age of horror. Like the, the horror coming out now is like probably better than it's been in a long time. But I want to know what you think.
0: I think that it comes from a couple of different places. One mm. of them is definitely, for lack of a better word, and I'm probably going to take heed for this on social media, the the horror bros. And there is this <laughs> there is this contingent of horror fans now who are like the boomers, who were the cool kids back mm. in the 70s and 80s and they were you know, wearing the leather jackets and uh, you know who came of age on a certain era of horror and mm. uh, rather than remembering how cool and exciting and new all of that felt back then, they're looking at this landscape of horror today and they're like oh you know horror is too woke now or you know horror got pc you know what happened to the the cool horror from when i was younger and you know forgetting stuff like the thing and the fly and they mm. live and uh you know how horror has always been subversive and political and always been you know a very uh diverse genre but they just remember it as you know their club And so I think that's, that's one big area where you get this, uh, this complaining. It's because they want to go back to the good old days, make horror great again. Um. And then the other side of that is I think there's just always that group. There's always a group of malcontents in any fandom mm. where it's always like they don't make them like they used to. And I really think you go back to the 90s and you'll have people complaining that they don't make you know great slashers like they did in the 80s. You go back to the 80s when the slashers were big. You'll have people complaining, oh, they don't make, you know, like great, like satanic hammer style mm. 1970s movies anymore. You go back to the 70s and I bet you find people bitching, oh, there's no good... Uh, king kong or universal dracula movies anymore and i think we're just seeing that like within any fandom there's always going to be that one streak of inveterate cranks who wants to have the style of horror from a previous era
1: 100 and i really like how you kind of like touched on that because it it does feel very like Nietzschean in a way that it's kind of things are just going to repeat itself it doesn't matter like what decade we're in there's going to be someone who goes oh it's not like it was last decade and that's a bad thing somehow but like I like how you mentioned as well like these type of people complain about oh you know horror is too woke or too politically correct and I'm just like since when is like being kinder to other humans a bad thing like I'll never understand oh it's too PC why is that a negative I don't know these people they're just locked in their little towers but I really really enjoyed how you talked about how you know horror has always been subversive and has always been political because I think it is almost always ironic that like these people will go oh horror is too political these days horror is too woke and then like you'll see in their bio on twitter something about like their favorite horror film being like you know they live or the people under the stairs or something that's or even like you know any of the romero films that are literally social commentary and it's and i think and I want to know what your perspective on this is like I think it comes from a lack of basically kind of like critical thinking ability or media literacy like as in I think there are some people who when they're engaging with art or they're engaging with media they're not like approaching it from a crit with a critical lens or with an intellectual lens and I want to know what your perspective on on that is like do you think I'm like kind of on the money somewhere or do you think it's something
0: else I think it's definitely part of it I think that you could mm. you know talk to people who say oh Night of the Living Dead is my uh, favorite movie and they would not get the significance of the end of that movie mm. and what that meant for audiences in the 1960s what that means for audiences today uh, and they would just think oh man it's sad that Ben died and Mm. not get any of the, you know, the lynching subtext there. Uh, And I also think that a big part of it too now is with, I I, I hate saying this, but for lack of a better word, the culture wars uh, Mm. (laughs) that a lot of uh, horror fans are are primed almost by the media that they're consuming to see this as a bad thing when they necessarily would Mm. not have in a previous generation. Uh, You know, somebody who may have uh, been getting more of a, you know the classic baby boomer who uh you know sold out back in the day they might have been you know more politically aware and politically active and you know looked at neither living dead and seen this as this rallying cry against racism mm. or you know watched they live and seen it as this rallying cry against uh reaganomics and mindless consumerism but now that they're part of the establishment or now that they're consuming mm-hmm. media that is you know geared towards a right wing mindset, now it's all of a sudden well, that's not good anymore now it's bad now it's it's too woke now mm. it's too c, and that's the the mindset that they're going into it with uh it It always amazes me with older horror fans who rally against uh you know, too woke media today. And yet you sit down and you talk to them and they talk about stuff like they live, neither living dead in these very positive terms. And they do get the message of that. And it's like, but today it's too woke. And there's, you know, this cognitive dissonance there where it's like, it was cool to be, you know, socially aware in the sixties, seventies, eighties, but it's woke and bad now. And I I Mm -hmm. don't understand where that disconnects occurring. 100%
1: I think that really hits the money like hits the nail on the head like and and also like just from like a wider you know societal like breakdown because it is interesting how like it's almost like I remember like you know you're always told that oh you know in your college days and your young days, you'll be political, you know, you'll be socialist left wing, you'll be politically active, you know, you'll do protest marches, but then as you get older and settle down, you'll become more conservative and right wing. And it seems like this upcoming generation, like younger millennials and generation Z seem to be very much and even actually in some ways some gen xers as well like coming starting with gen x and going down through the generations but there does seem it's like booking that trend as in there does seem to be this refusal to go that route as in that Mm -hmm. there are these people who like in their teens 20s were very like socialist and left-wing and now in approaching their 40s are still very much the same and I think it's really interesting to see that comparison. And I think you can see that reflected in like horror fans as well, that there is this like type of, you know, no, (laughs) this, like, you know, I'm always going to think like this because this is the right way to think fuck the establishment and like actually random little tangent, but it is those same type of horror fans that are all, Oh, things are too woke. Things are too politically correct. That also seem to be oddly fans of like rage against the machine and Tom Morello. And you're just kind of like, were you not listening to the content (laughs) of those songs? Because yeah, you really, really do lack media literacy and critical thinking skills. (laughs) Um. But jumping on from that, and uh, I, this is like a topic that I'm always like intensely interested in and I never really know where to plant my flag. And I think it stems from this type of, you know, people who are making that decision of what they consider good horror what they consider bad horror what's pc or woke and i think it is linked with that in some ways but how do you feel about like censorship when it comes to horror and when it comes to like you know i guess art in general but specifically with horror like do you think there's a line on what's acceptable in what can be represented on film or do you think because art is art censorship shouldn't Have a play at all. Everything's permissible. I want to know what you think on that topic.
0: That's something I go back and forth with myself mm. on, even, because, I, you know, I, I feel like of two minds, of, like, this one that's, you know, art should be completely unrestricted, unfettered, uh, that, you know, if you censor art, then you're, you know, impugning what art is meant to be, but then, on the other hand, it's like, there. I think there are maybe some lines, uh, mm. you know, like Cannibal Holocaust, actually chopping up a sea turtle with a machete on camera, that's, you know, does not set well with me, yeah. uh, you know, actually... I suppose if it's if it's not real, if no one is actually being harmed, if no one is actually being placed in a position of danger, either physically or mentally, you know, maybe that's the situation where I say, you know, censorship is wrong. But uh, if what you're censoring is to physically, mentally protect somebody yeah, I may be more inclined to say, okay, maybe maybe you shouldn't be allowed to, you know, just dice up live animals on camera with a machete because you think it's going to look cooler because it's going to show the depravity of, uh, you know, the people involved. Mm. Uh, and then again, you know, you've got Apocalypse Now and they slaughter that cow. But, you know, then too, I guess in that situation, they're going to eat it anyway. So, you know, what's the difference there? But I mean, you know, just the sadism of, you know, just like butchering a live animal for no other reason than to, you know, be subversive. Yeah. Uh, you now, this is something I've bounced back and forth a lot in my head as regards a, a Serbian film,
1: uh, mm. which
0: is a move that I understand why it exists. Will I ever see it? Probably not. uh But you know that 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 really especially made me ask myself: Should, should horror be censored?
1: Mm, I know what you mean, and it's and like the Cannibal Holocaust one is one that like that's kind of the one that makes me like never know where to plant my flag as well like and I still haven't seen the film like mainly because I know that it has real animal death in it so it's not really something that I want to seek out but then I got then part of me thinks you know what's you know how is that any different to say documentarians documenting like kind of, like essentially which is what Cannibal Holocaust is doing is that even though it's a actual film it's a found footage film they're documentary makers capturing what this like you know indigenous village like so essentially that's what the villagers do how is that different from an actual like say like a Ross Kemp documentary or something like that that goes into a certain community and shows on camera like what type of animals they sacrifice for their culture and stuff like that Like, so that you know it's one of those things where it's like where is I, I never. That's why I can never tell because, like, is one gratuitous because it's a fictional work, but then it's I think it really comes down to what's the maybe what's the intent behind the filming of it. I think that's for me is really what's important when analyzing whether something should be censored or not. Like, what is the intent of this? Like, what is the purpose for this being on screen? Like, with a documentary, like. For example, the, there's a documentary on Netflix called Sea Spiracy, which, like, that's basically a horror film. Like, watch that, and I was just like, I cannot eat seafood now like, because <laughs> it is horrifying What how, like, it literally the re- revelations it makes of, like, the mass fishing industry. Um, But, like, slight tangent, but there are plenty of images of local villagers in, I think it's like the Faroe Islands, where basically what these villagers do on an annual festival is they slaughter whales and they capture this and show it on camera. And I'm, you know, it's kind of like, that's why I never know. Like, because this is a camera being used to capture something. In one case, it's a fictional work. In one case, it's literally just documenting something that's happening. And where's the difference is something that i don't know i I, I genuinely and i'm not asking you to answer either but it's just something my brain is always wondering but i think it's the intent is really what it comes down to like what's the reason for this to be on screen is and i like would you say that that's kind of like similar to where you'd kind of approach it from like what's the intent because in the same way like we said earlier, what's the intent of the filmmaker? Was their intent to elicit a feeling of dread? You know, if that was the intent, then it's a horror film. You know, so I think it's similar. What's the intent for this visual? Like, would you say that that's probably similar enough to where you'd approached from?
0: I think so, yeah. I think you and I are of a very like mind on this.
1: Yeah, no. Perfect. Yeah, it's again, it's something I'm always interested in, where someone lies on that. But kind of spinning off from that, and it's something that I think links to a filmmaker's intent and whether censorship is something that you know should be done or not but i want to know like do you think like the academic kind of literary concept of the death of the author applies to horror films and filmmakers and um, like in and i guess spinning like kind of adjacent to that like do you feel filmmakers are in any way responsible for how a viewer reacts or should they be in any way accountable for what they're putting on screen in their art? Like, what do you think on this?
0: I think that anybody should be able to take whatever meaning they take from a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And uh, that I definitely feel that the, the creator may have a certain intent and they may have, you know, an idea of what this movie is about. But uh, I think if you're able to justify it with evidence, from the film, from the text, that, you know, this is what you took away from it. This is what you think this thing is about. So I think mm. that's certainly just as valid as what the filmmaker may have intended. Uh you know, I haven't delved too deeply into uh the, the word I'm looking for the the intent of John Carpenter and the thing. I love the thing. Mm. Um, media that I really love, I oftentimes kind of counterintuitively don't dig too deeply into it so I can just you know, appreciate it for what it is. And then mm. it's the, the stuff that I kind of like that I you know, do these obsessive deep dives on. But uh, I don't know if John Carpenter intended The Thing to be an AIDS metaphor or to be about mm. the gay panic of the 1980s. But even if he didn't, I still think that The Thing is one of the best movies made about the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. And mm-hmm. I think that there is textually enough there that you can take away, take that away from it. Uh, so I don't feel that what the filmmaker or creator intended for the piece of media is necessarily like the be-all and end-all of what, you know, Johnny Smith or, you know, Jamie Smith down the street might have taken away from it. You know, maybe they see something else in that piece of art and that's just as valid for them as what I may see and that's what the creator wanted there to be.
1: I really like that perspective, and thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I think everyone everyone is so different with this answer with this question, and I love it that there are so many different perspectives like across like the you know the horror community of like where people lie with this, and I just find it so fascinating. And um, but yes, I think and I'll, like actually, I love what you said there about the thing being a metaphor for the gay panic or for AIDS because like i don't think i've actually come across that like um reading before but like just thinking it over while you were talking like i really like it cuz like it is really interesting how you usually normally vampires as a subgenre is kind of used particularly vampires from the 80s to reflect on you know what was happening with the gay panic and the aids crisis like vampires as a subgenre was what normally was tacked against that but I've never heard that reading of the thing being a metaphor of words so that's really interesting I like that and I'm just wondering like is that something that is just your own personal reading of it or is like something that you've come across as like it's a wider reading that you're just in support of?
0: That was something that hit me. I actually remember when it hit me. I was watching it on TV in San Antonio. My wife and I had just moved into our first mm. apartment and I had the, uh, the TV set up in the living room. It set kind of an angle so that I could cook dinner in the kitchen and watch the thing on there. And I just remember, what was I making? It was something with dough because I remember the act of kneading the dough. It wasn't pizza, though, because I can't make pizza. And just thinking to myself, you know, they're obsessed with the blood and the idea of contaminated blood. Mm. And they're all men. Pointedly, there's no women in the movie uh there's all the suspicion of is this person tainted and is the blood tainted and mm. it's like this is a movie about the AIDS panic in the 1980s and all of the, the the culture of paranoia that grew up around it and uh you know this fear and uncertainty and you know is this person next or is this person contaminated? And the idea uh, in the media of AIDS patients as these monsters and the way that they were portrayed, you know, in the states of emaciation and near death and like the way that the thing is this like abominable, like ghoulish creature. And it's like, mm. this, this is a movie about people being afraid of, of AIDS and being afraid of, uh, you know, who, who's carrying it.
1: Amazing. No, uh, I love that so much. That's something that I'm going to have, like, when I rewatch the movie now, it's going to add such like an extra weight to it. So thank you for that. No, I really like that. And I also just love like the little kind of like, you remember exactly where you were, what you were doing when you had this. And I just think like human minds are just so fascinating that like, we just have these connections that helps make those you know memories. But no, I really like that reading. Thank you for that. That's really interesting um but tangent away from that but I want to know like um when it comes to horror that like you enjoy and that you consume like horror films specifically but even horror literature as well but um like are there any kind of favorite sub of yours as in these are the ones that you always turn to but more importantly and this is what I always am interested in Why in particular these subgenres? Like, is there something that you're specifically looking for? Is there something that you're getting from when you indulge in in enjoying these certain subgenres?
0: I like anything having to do with cursed or otherwise malign media. Uh, Mm. Stuff like The Ring, uh, Ghostwatch, uh, this movie that came out just a couple of years ago and kind of flew under the radar called Antrim. Uh, which is about a cursed movie. Uh, I love stuff like that. Videodrome. Videodrome is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I think because watching movies and, to a lesser extent, television have always been such safe and comforting mm-hmm. and almost holy activities for me. The idea of a cursed broadcast or a cursed movie or videotape it's kind of like the black mass of cinema it's taking Mm. this thing that should be good and should be pure and should be holy and like subverting it and doing the exact opposite with it
1: amazing and i really like that perspective on it and it's so true and i think it's actually it's almost like a similar overlap to you know the almost like either haunted houses or home invasion subgenres. like it's a really interesting overlap as in it's like it's something that should be a safe space that's now been invaded in a way but i really like the distinction of like no no specifically cursed media like i really like that and i want to know have you seen um because i only watched it for the first time recently and like i really enjoyed it but have you seen broadcast signal intrusion
0: I have not. This is a new one for me. Okay. List.
1: I think you would like it. It's um well it's on Shudder here in Ireland UK. I'm not okay. like you're are you US North America US, based? Yeah. Okay. So I don't like I know sometimes the Shudder platforms are slightly different, but in general I think you can easily access it most places. But um really really interesting. I think if you if you like cursed media as a subgenre, this should be up your street because it's Definitely that. <laughs> um but yeah, it's cursed media, but it's also a little bit of like a it gave me kind of elements of like the ring, like because it's like unraveling a mystery as well. So like mm-hmm. yeah, I really liked it. And the main actor in it is um the actor Harry Shum Jr. And he's really good in it. He's a Asian American actor. Um recently he was in that Everything Everywhere All at Once as well as a small role. <laughs> Okay. He, was, he was, if you saw that, did you see that film? No, okay. No, not yet. Never mind then. <laughs> that was just the connection I made. But <laughs> broadcast signal intrusion, okay. I would recommend it. It sounds up your street. But no, I like that. Are there any other subgenres that you kind of turn to most, or like that would be, yeah, just ones that you like as much as cursed media?
0: It's a very nebulous definition, but, uh, I, I really like like exploitation cinema from especially mm. the seventies and the eighties, like underground stuff, stuff that flew off the radar, stuff that played for one week on 42nd Street in, you know, 1982 and has only been seen by like 25 people since. <laughs> I, I just love seeking out and consuming this media that, uh, didn't get the fair shake back in the day or that, uh, you know, really flew under the radar or that, uh, you know, obscure stuff and uh strange offbeat stuff
1: interesting and i love how it's like you're almost in some ways like a you know a media preservationist like you know as in you feel that this this media still deserves to give have its time in the limelight you know that you're seeking it out i like that i like that approach and um, but yeah but no they're they're two really interesting ones and i think like uh as a horror fan like you know, just being able to like support something that it it it's almost like why we're a horror fan in a way because like you know we are in in many ways associate with the outsiders the outcasts like you know that's why we enjoy the genre because that's in some ways our identity is linked with that. So I like how that's also like, you know, what I'm going to give these outsider films their chance because they deserve to be let in. You know, they deserve to be let into the into the family. I like that. That's a really nice approach. Um, so spinning off from that and it would kind of I'd say there will probably be some overlap, but um, do you have any like specific kind of comfort horror films? Like as in if you've had like a bad day, shitty week and you're, you know, you're just going to put on a film that, you know, you're going to have a good time with. Like, are there any repeat films like this for you?
0: This is going to piss off so many of my friends <laughs> listening to this and this is going to lose me so much cred, but I love shock treatment shock treatment is one of my consummate go-to just comfort films in general mm. uh, I, I me and my wife both like that's uh like a shared comfort movie for us uh shock treatment.
1: It, that one i'm i think i've heard of it but i don't think i've seen it so, so it's
0: it's richard o'brien and okay. it is the pseudo sequel to the rocky horror picture show
1: Oh, yes, I've heard of it once because someone mentioned it on Evolution of Horror. Yes. okay. no, I'm going to have to. um, But yeah, so it's like you said, it's a sequel to Rocky Horror or pseudo sequel.
0: (laughs) So it's the the, it's Brad and Janet again. And then uh, Richard O'Brien and Patricia uh, Quinn and uh, Little No all come back, but they're different characters. Mm. And they're back in Denton. And the entire town of Denton has been taken over by a media conglomerate. And the town lives inside of the movies, uh, the television studio now. And part of this was a uh, budgetary constraint because Richard O'Brien wanted to shoot it in a real town, but they Mm. wouldn't give him the money for it. And so all the locations in the city (laughs) are places inside of this TV studio. And uh, it is about Brad and Janet trying to repair their failing marriage as they come into the crosshairs of all of these eccentric television personalities. And it's it's really cool to me uh, because it really predicted a lot of stuff. It really predicted reality television. And then the the, the villain is this media conglomerate, uh, media tycoon named Farley Flavors who is this fascistic television show host who wants to fuse religion and TV and politics together to take over the world. And the logo for his company is like this pseudo swastika.
1: And it's really,
0: really hard not to walk shock treatment now and not be like Richard O'Brien saw... Donald Trump coming like 40 years ago mm. and whether he realized that or not at the time that this was actually prophetic is, is really striking. And this has been a comfort movie of mine going back to, I saw this in 2011. Uh, so, you know, years prior, but now there's like this weird extra, not quite thrilled to it, but like this weird, wow, I can't believe that this movie came out in the 80s.
1: Right. And actually, I really love what you said there about you don't know whether it was Richard O'Brien's intent or not. Because I think this like kind of links back to the interest, like to the question earlier of like the death of the author. Because like, I really think like, you know, when it comes to, you know, creatives and artists, like, you know, there's, you know, as humans, so much of our being like is below the surface it's subconscious behavior it's stuff that we're not even aware of that we're thinking or you know that we know and that makes us who we are so i think so much of like artists and creatives they might have an intent of what they're meaning to put out but they're putting parts of themselves in that they might not be aware of. And like, so it's slightly like, like slightly kind of like different, but I love how you said he might not have intended it as in, it was something that might've been in the back of his head that he had thought of once, not necessarily Donald Trump would be, but more of this rise of kind of media fascism and right wing that will allow someone like Trump to take power. And, um, but yeah, it's really interesting. And, whenever I think about this type of topic, like my go-to example is like, if you look at, you know, the child's play and Chucky franchise with Don Mancini, because like it, to me, it's probably the most, if not one of the most consistent horror franchises in existence, because when you have one creative person that's been there from the start and is still there now, it's that person's vision throughout. But Don Mancini himself has said that, you know, originally when he was just the writer on the child's play films, it wasn't his intent to make it like, you know, a queer story. But because he is a gay man, of course that just gets imbibed into it and leeches into it onto the page. So that now when you're watching it, like in reflection, you kind of, you can't take, separate it. You can't not see it. You can't have like, I think anyone who watches like, the child's play Chucky films and doesn't see the queerness in it again, lacks critical thinking skills and media literacy (laughs) skills because it's like there now, since like, you know, bride of Chucky, it's very much on the surface beforehand. It was subtextual. It's now it's very much, no, no, this is text. (laughs) This is like a, this is a queer film. This is a queer franchise. I just love how Chucky has become essentially a queer icon. But um that was a slight tangent but I really like how you said you know whether it was intentional or not Richard O'Brien in a way predicted this outcome um but yes no I have to seek out that film because like Rocky Horror is like one of those seminal films for me as a person because I watched Rocky Horror when I believed falsely that I was a cisgender man and then like Rocky Horror caused a lot of reflection and a lot of thinking. And then as I watched more stuff like Queer Eye and different things, I realized, oh, no, uh, when the doctors and my parents said, hey, you're a boy. Yeah, they were wrong. (laughs) But Rocky Horror helped unpack that. And so, yeah, I'll have to seek out shock treatment. Thank you. Um, But is there any other films that are go-to rewatches for you?
0: Uh, Night of the Comet. I really love Night of the Comet. Uh, it's, uh, just really fun and anarchic and, you know, almost feels like a live action comic book. And, uh, Mm. I just love that it captures all of these consummately 80s things in the movie, you know, cheerleaders and valley girls and shopping malls. Uh, and just, it's, you know, just, just this great pomp.
1: Lovely, interesting. It's another one that I don't think I've seen before. So I'll have, like, I'm, I, this is my favourite thing about doing this podcast series is, like, everyone has different answers for the different questions. So, like, there's so many films that I'm just picking up now that I'm just like, oh, I'll add that to my basket. I haven't seen that one yet. So thank you. It's another one.
0: It's yep. absolutely delightful. It's uh the, this comet passes through Earth's atmosphere and everybody mm. who was shielded from it survives. Everybody who was directly exposed to it gets vaporized and mm. people who were indirectly exposed to it get turned into zombies. And it's about these two teenage girls and their father is a military officer and he mm. has raised them from adolescence to be like super macho. And so it's about these two valley girls who are very stereotypically kind of consummately 1980s girly girl. One of them spends the entire mm. movie dressed as a cheerleader, and they immediately set out to get their hands on machine guns <laughs> and then just continue living their lives as though really this hasn't happened and you know, immediately go hit the mall so they can get all of the best stuff from the mall that uh, nobody else is going for now. It's just a really fun movie.
1: Interesting. Thank you. That sounds right up my street. I'll um, I'll add that to my list. But I really like um, when you were discussing, like, mentioning that film, how you elaborated on how it was like very much a snapshot of the era it represents. Because that's, I think, one of the things I love about horror itself as a as a genre, but just film in general. But I think horror in particular is great at being a reflection of the era it's made in because as you as we said earlier horror has always been subversive has always been political you know certain films might not be as in, overtly so but most horror always has been um and i love how horror is a reflection of the time it's existing in. so it's either a criticism of its era or it's commenting on what, where they think things will go, but either way it's like capturing society as it is at the time that that film is existing. You know, obviously if you go into sci-fi horror, it's slightly different because most of that's in space and stuff like that. So that's, we'll, we'll ignore that (laughs) subgenre. but a lot of horror is a snapshot of the time it's made in. And I want to know, like, just like, even though that isn't a subgenre, but are there any other kind of horror films that stand out to you as being like, just you watch a film and you just know this breathe this breathes the era it's in, as in it lives in a certain time period. Are there any other films that kind of jump out at you as doing that?
0: You know, you mentioned sci-fi horror and like, even if the settings may be like futuristic, I think that Mm. those are really great ways to uh, look at what a society was afraid of at the time and what was Mm. going through their minds at the time. Like, uh, you know, stuff like Soylent Green, uh, Logan's Mm. Run, being afraid of, uh... sorry, my camera freaked out here. You can edit this, right?
1: yeah, I'll be able to but okay, I can still hear um, you perfectly
0: okay cool yeah you, know, you know stuff like uh, those those great 70s like deep concept sci-fi horror movies I think those really you know reflect the uh, the, the shifts in the American uh, consciousness and uh, that's transitionary period between the, the 60s the 70s to the 80s those are great cinematic snapshots of the anxieties cool. of the time
1: yeah no actually that's a that's a good uh, elaboration on the point and um, yeah like and even though as i said the imagery or the visuals might not be the era but it's a good examination on where that filmmaker's mind was or where that society's thinking was while the film came out so yeah i liked that clarification there thank you but and as we're kind of like coming up to the hour mark now and like i really enjoyed everything that's kind of been set out in this uh in our conversation and um, one question that like and again it'll probably overlap with some of the films you've already listed but would you have like would there be particular films that you'd recommend to someone who's say only starting on their horror journey so not necessarily from like a completionist sense in, the, in a way of like these films are like you know the history of horror you need to watch these but more if you watch these films you'll get a vibe for the genre and you'll want to seek out more are there any films that you kind of like would recommend to people who are starting a horror journey
0: and I would need to know why they haven't really gotten into horror Mm. yet if it's like something has been keeping them away from it and if so what like you know does somebody think that it's like is horror too nihilistic and violent for them? You know, I don't want to start them off with, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even though I love (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or, you know, do you think that, uh, you know, it's not accessible enough? Do you like movies that are a little bit more light? You know, maybe I turn this person on to Beetlejuice or, Mm -hmm. you know, The Monster Squad. Um, I think Night of the Living Dead might actually be a kind of good, broadly accessible gateway horror movie for an adult viewer, uh, you know, it's, it's gnarly, but it's not too terribly gruesome. Uh, it's, you know, tonally frightening without just being all blood and guts. Yes. Uh, it really gives you an idea of the, uh, the socio-political nature of a lot of seminal horror movies. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's well made. It's sleek. Uh, I think Night of the Living Dead might be a good one
1: good i like that choice um yeah it's a really good one and i i i really appreciated your clarifier of gateway horror for an adult because i definitely think um you know i love that like examination of like you know what's a good gateway horror for someone who's younger but not night of the living dead maybe not necessarily but something like beetlejuice or you know maybe even like casper not necessarily a horror but the first film that I asked my parents to take me out of the theater because I found it too scary. So I would recommend Casper as a potential gateway for children. (laughs) But no, I really like that uh, nomination of Night of the Living Dead as a good starting point because, yeah, it actually both fits the, you know, the title of being this is just great for the history of horror, it's also a good film for if you enjoy this or you get a takeaway from it, you'll want to seek out more horror films. So yes, thank you for that. So yeah, I think that's a good closing off point for this discussion, which I really enjoyed. So, um, but before I let you go there, Preston, where can people find you and support your work?
0: Uh, I can uh, be found on Twitter. It's at @PrestonFossil. Fossil. It's a P R E S T O N. Mm F-A-S-S-E-L and then uh, you can also uh, find my books on Amazon uh, or Barnes & Noble uh, if you want to support Brick and Mortar uh, just uh, type my name into the search bar and there you go Amazing
1: well thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and I've really enjoyed where this conversation has gone and to my listeners thank you for joining us on this exploration into why horror and keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes as they get released